passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Before we uh, jump into our text for the morning, though, I, I just want to tell you, I was blessed to grow up in a, a good Christian home, and my parents were very uh, gracious to us, or to me, because I was an only child, but they wanted to make sure that when we had Christmas, there was always a lot of gifts under the tree. I don't know how you do it in your house, but my parents would put the gifts out early as they arrived, and they would get them done. They'd just start to collect under the tree, and soon there's this big pile of gifts under there, and I would get really excited, you know, like an eight-year-old kid, all these brightly wrapped gifts, and I start you know, going through them, and hey, that one has my name on it, and that one has my name on it, and I'm like, it is going to be a good Christmas. Lots of gifts under the tree. But I have to tell you, though, that um, I discovered some of those gifts were deceptive. Because I was thrilled to open them, and I tore off the brightly colored paper, and there was a pair of socks. And there was new clean white underwear. And there was more dress clothes for church. And I noticed my parents were smiling, but I wasn't smiling quite as broadly as they were. Because they were excited for those gifts. But eh, that's not what I exactly wanted on Christmas morning. But one of the gifts that I felt a little deceptive, but it was actually a good gift, I would end up getting sometimes U.S. savings bonds. Anybody get U.S. savings bonds in Christmas? Just, just a few of us? Okay. Well, here's the thing. You know, as an eight-year-old, you open the gift, you get out the U.S. savings bond, and you don't really know what to do with that. I mean, you can't play with it. You can't even wear it. All you do is give it back to your parents and know that someday in the future, it'll actually be worth something. But for now... It's a dud. Now, we've been studying our way through the book of Ephesians, and we have seen some amazing things about our identity in Jesus Christ in this book of Ephesians. And the first week when we looked at this book, we learned that uh, we are the most blessed beings in the entire universe. Then in eternity past, God purposed in his heart to put us together with his son. And in eternity future, we will be together with his son. And this all begins to unroll when Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Incredibly good news for us. But you know what? <laughs> We're not there yet. Then last week, we looked at the fact that we are the ultimate contrast in the universe. Paul said that we are born literally spiritually dead. There is nothing to our relationship with God, and there's nothing we can do to restore our relationship with God. We're dead meat spiritually. And when it comes to who we were, uh, we started out as people who just followed the fallen culture of this world. If anything was controlling us, it was Satan, and we were his puppets in this world. And that we were living for our fleshly desires. And that's what controlled us. It was money, and sex, and power. And that's what we lived for. We were dead. But then we learned that scriptures say, but God. 
While we were still dead in our sins, because of his incredible mercy and grace to us through Jesus Christ, chose to make us alive. When he raised Christ from the dead physically, he raised us from the dead spiritually. He made us alive again. And while we were given the Holy Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit, now guaranteeing our inheritance, which is to come, we're not there yet. Our inheritance to come, we saw, was amazing. Literally, we are seated with Christ in eternity. We sit on Jesus Christ's lap. Nothing else in the entire universe will have that place of privilege. Sitting on the lap of Jesus Christ second person of the Trinity. We will sit in Jesus's, on Jesus' throne with him. Nobody else is going to sit in Jesus' chair with him besides you and me. We are so incredibly blessed through Jesus. But here's the problem. Those blessings feel like a U.S. savings bond on Christmas morning, don't they? Because they're about who we will be in the future. What about now? How do God's blessings impact us in our day-to-day world? Does God have a desire to bless us and use us now, or is it just for the future? If you've ever asked those questions, it's a good thing you came this morning, because the text that we're going to look at in the book of Ephesians talks about how God wants to use us now through Christ, and for his church. So take out your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Turn to verse 14, and then please stand when you get there. as We read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 together. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read these verses. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That ends the reading of God's Word, and you may be seated. Now, you notice this reading ended with the word amen. This is actually a prayer uh, that Paul is offering up. This is the second major prayer in the book of Ephesians. The first major prayer uh, began in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, And at that time, Paul was praying 
that the um, people in Ephesus would be able to comprehend and to understand their incredible identity through Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to the second prayer, what Paul is praying is that they would begin to apply their identity in Jesus to their everyday life in how they live. So that is going to be the theme of what we're going to look at. Now, the way this prayer breaks apart, it has a small introduction at the beginning. Then the prayer itself is in there and has about three steps that we're going to focus in and try and isolate that we can apply to our lives. And then it has a conclusion. So let me go ahead and we'll dive right into this. Just work our way right through it. Let's look at the introduction to Paul's prayer. It reads this way. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We begin to look at this. The first thing you see is the words, for this reason. And if you're studying your Bible and you see something like that, you say, well, for what reason? I have no idea what your reason is, Paul. And this simple way to answer that question is just take your finger in the text and just bring it back up earlier in the paragraph. What is Paul talking about earlier that gives him to the point where he can say, for this reason, I'm going to pray this way? And here I'm going to tell you what he was talking about earlier, and then I'll show you what he was talking about. This is why. Because God's plan has always been to showcase his wisdom through Christ's church and through Christ's people. See, just prior to this, we read these words. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he, had re that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lot of stuff there, but let's just break this down. If you're taking notes, what I want you to do is I want you to take your notes out and circle the, these words in, these ver in the verse. The words I want you to circle are the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. God has a plan that he has kept hidden to himself that he is now beginning to reveal. What is this plan about? Circle these words. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. God's plan is he's going to use the church to reveal his incredible wisdom to the world. He says here to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, you just need to know that those are just in, in Judaism, those are words that describe high-ranking angelic beings, describing God's plan and God's wisdom. And the other thing he says is this, that the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus, that God's plan is going to be realized through the church, but it's all going to be originated in Jesus Christ. So, Here's what we understand, that through the church, God is revealing, his, through the church and through Jesus Christ, God is revealing his plans and purposes for the world. In other words, God is taking people who are broken, 
who are broken by racial division, who are broken by ethnic division, who are broken by cultural division, and he's bringing them together through Christ in his church. God is taking people who have a broken relationship with him because of sin, and he's bringing them into a restored relationship to him through Christ in his church in this world. God's master plan for the universe originates in Christ. It is carried out through his church. And here's what you need to understand. Our identity is with Christ. We are his church. God plans to use us for Christ's glory and for God's kingdom in big and important ways in the world, not just in the future, but in this life as well. This is why Paul, when he closes the prayer, he comes and he says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we would ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. God is able to, he says, to do far more abundantly with us and through us than all that we would ask or be able to think. Not according to our strength, he says, but according to the strength at work in us, which is Jesus Christ. And what is he going to do with us? To bring glory to Christ in the church. So, the big plan that God has is he wants to use us in this life in significant ways beyond what we'd be able to ask or even be able to think for Christ's glory in this life in the church. God's blessings are not just all future. They're also here and now. Now, there's a couple other things I wanted to point out in this introduction. You noticed Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. He prays on his knees. Paul prays on his knees because he is serious, by the way. Just so you know, that the Bible does not say that your knees is the only posture allowable for prayer. Quite honestly, most of the prayers we have in Scripture took place when people were standing, not kneeling. In fact, that was common in, in Paul's day. Luke chapter 18 talks about the Pharisee and, and, and the tax collector and how both of them stood to pray. That was common. But we do know and we see in the Bible that at times when people are in desperate situations, when they are very serious about their prayers, they do get down on their knees to pray. So while praying on your knees is not the normal position, it's a position that seems to be associated with especially serious prayers, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was going to the cross, fell down on his knees, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. It's a serious prayer about ready to die for our sin, and he fell on his knees to do it. So, you can pray in any position you want, standing, walking, sitting, but it does seem that especially serious prayers are taking place on the knees. 
The other thing is this. Notice the last part of this. Before the Father, he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul prays directly to God the Father because with Jesus, we don't need an intermediary. Let me look at my notes here. Now, Bible scholars out there have a lot of disagreement on exactly what Paul is saying here, but I, I don't think it's that hard. Here's what I think. It's pretty simple. He's praying to God the Father, but then he qualifies who God the Father is, the one who, from whom every family on heaven and on earth is named. Every single human being looks to God the Father as their origin and creator. Every single angelic being looks to God the Father as their origin and creator. Every single living being looks back to God the Father, the origin and creator. But here is Paul talking directly to God the Father, the one who created and sustains everything. So it seems like the very cool part here is because of Jesus Christ, we don't need an intermediary. Paul can talk directly to God, and you and I can talk directly to God, as if God bends down and puts a listening ear to Paul's prayers as he's on his knees. Now, what comes next is the prayer itself. And this pair divides up into three parts. And well, these three parts will be very instructive for us, and it'll teach us how to pray. Uh, but it won't just teach us how to pray for ourselves that we would be able to do things that are more than we would ever be able to ask or imagine for Christ in his kingdom. But notice who Paul is praying this for. This is a prayer that Paul prays for people in Ephesus that he loves. What I love about this prayer, quite personally and honestly, is I've added this into my prayer list to guide me on how to pray for those people in my life that I especially love that I pray that God would use them in ways that are beyond what they could ask or ever imagine for Christ and his kingdom. So let's look at what Paul says he prays for those he loves. Number two, how should we pray for those we love so God would use them in ways beyond what they would ask or imagine? First thing, pray that God would grow them to be strong and powerful for Christ in their inner being. What Paul says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, God is the one who ultimately gives us the gift of spiritual growth and spiritual strength. But here, Paul, I want you to realize this, what Paul is praying for is not instant strength and instant strength. He is praying that they would grow strong over time. In other words, he is praying that they would go through times of experiencing spiritual maturity. Now, I thought about this and I realized, you know, growing our inner strength is very similar to growing our outer strength. Like getting more spiritually fit on the inside and growing stronger in Christ has a lot of parallels to getting more spiritual or physically fit on the outside, doesn't it? 
If you want to get physically fit, you don't expect it to happen instantly. You have to get a plan, and you actually you go out and you run, and you go out and you lift, lift weights, and you put hard work, and you put effort into it, and over time, you start to grow physically strong. Well, in the same way, it's the same thing with inner spiritual strength. If you want to become spiritually strong, you want to grow to be spiritually powerful, we need to take time to obviously put our own finger in the text. We need to take time to read God's Word. We need to take time to study God's Word. We need to take time to memorize God's Word. Get involved in Crosswinds University classes or in life groups where we can grow in God's Word. Because you know, even though God is the source of our spiritual strength and our spiritual growth, we participate in the sense that as, as we, we need to spend time in God's Word to grow spiritually strong. So this is the point. One way to grow strong in Christ in our inner being is by spending time in the Word of God. The scriptures talk about this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long for the basic truths of God's Word because you will grow and mature in them. Or Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. To the Colossians, Paul says, let the word of God dominate your thought life. That's what he means when he says, let it dwell in you richly. Get up in the morning and read God's Word. Take time to get into God's Word. And when the Word of God starts to dwell in you richly, what happens is then you can be teaching others and you can be admonishing others. And the Word of God teaches you the way you should go and it corrects you when you go the wrong way in life, when you start to drift. And he says here, we don't just read and study God's word, but we actually should be singing God's word as well. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like when you come for worship and we, and we sing in worship, that's a really important thing. Because singing scripture and singing God's word helps us commit God's word to our hearts. Doesn't it? Now, he says this. Well, why there's a lot of parallels between growing strong in our outer strength and growing strong in our inner strength with God's word, um, there are also some differences. Let me show you this. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. When you strengthen yourself in your body, your outer self, you can be strong for a while, but I have to tell you, don't we get weaker over time? Anybody found themselves getting weaker as they get older? The rest of you are all younger. That's why your hands are not up. Yeah, you get weaker when you get older. But here's the deal. When it comes to our spiritual strength, our relationship with God, since God is ultimately the source of that, and God is the sustainer of that, God renews that, and he strengthens that within us each day. 
So while over time we grow physically weaker, over time we also grow spiritually stronger and more mature. Now you can test this out for yourself. We've already admitted that those of us who are getting a little bit older have found ourselves getting physically weaker. But if you've been a Christian for a while, let me ask you, are you spiritually stronger? Simply ask yourself this, are you still studying, uh, struggling with the same temptations that you did when you were a teenager? Or have you matured beyond those temptations? Most of us would say, well, I remember that season of my life. These were the particular weaknesses and sins that I was vulnerable to, but now it seems like God's given me some victory in those areas. I've matured beyond that. I'm not perfect, but I've experienced spiritual growth. So the first step that Paul says here to be used in ways for God's kingdom that are beyond what we could ever ask or beyond what we could ever imagine is we want to pray for those they love that they would grow strong and powerful in their inner being. They would come to know God. They would come to know his word and be spiritually strong. The second thing he prays for is this. Pray their heart, which is Christ's home, would be a comfortable place for Christ to live. Literally, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is an interesting line. Because he said, why would you pray for Christians that Christ would dwell in their heart? I thought that already happened when you became a Christian. Didn't the Holy Spirit already come in you? Why is Paul praying this prayer? The key thing to understand is the, the word dwell here. The word dwell doesn't just mean to live in a place. It literally means to settle down and to become comfortable in a place. In fact, in the Greek, there's an intensifier in front of it, a word, the word kata. You may pray that the Holy Spirit would become extremely comfortable in their heart. An example that might help you is uh, when I was first in the ministry, we served at a church in Michigan, very thankful for that opportunity there. Um, we lived in a parsonage that was right next to the church. So the church provided housing, and we we're thankful for the parsonage, much more of a house than we could ever afford, but it wasn't really our house. We just sort of lived there. You know, the orange carpet, and not something that we're allowed to change. You know, it sort of felt awkward, the orange carpet. You know, like it should have gone like two decades ago. So we lived there, but I wouldn't say we felt extremely comfortable there. This is what Paul is getting after. Do you pray that when Christ dwells in the hearts of those you love, that he would dwell there extremely comfortably when, his heart, when, you're, when their heart is his home? A good way to understand that is there was a book out a number of years ago called My Heart, Christ's Home. And the, maybe some of you will remember it. I think it was in the 70s it originally came out. And what the author talked about is when Christ comes into our heart, you know, our heart, which is his home, has different rooms in it. And we need to let Jesus into all the rooms in our heart. And he needs to be comfortable in all of the rooms of our heart. 
Now, you'll realize this book was a little bit dated, but the first room that this author talked about was the house library. Most of us don't have a library anymore. But his point was this, that the library was the data center of the home. It's where all the information was brought into. It's where all the information was processed and where it was kept. Essentially, he's talking about what kind of information we put in our mind. He says, is Christ comfortable in your heart, which is his home, because of the information that you bring into your heart? Is he comfortable when he knows you're looking at smut, when you're looking at trash, when you're looking at porn, when you're looking at violence? Well, yeah, Christ is in your heart, but he's not really dwelling comfortably in your heart when your library is a mess. And the writer said, you know, you need to give Christ access to the library, to clean up the library of your life. The other thing he talked about, he says, is uh, Christ comfortable in the dining room of your heart, Christ's home? The dining room, that's a place where you satisfy your appetites, isn't it? He talked about, well, what do you long for? What do you fantasize about? What do you dream about when you have in the dining room of your heart? The things you long to satisfy. Is Christ comfortable with those things? And the author in that book said, if not, you know, give him also the dining room of your heart, his home. And give him all of your deficits and desires and say, may they be pleasing to you. The next place he talked about letting Christ into was the family room of your heart. You know, well, the family room, that's where you invite people over. That's where you have friendships. That's where you entertain. And the author said, you know, is Christ comfortable with those that you have as friends in your life? Those you want to spend time with in your life? Or is he saying, you know, these people are really drawing you away? These people are not the good influence on you right now because instead of them following you, you're, you're following them. Do you need to let Christ have full control of the family room of your life? And the author's point in his book was simply this. We need to open up all of the rooms of our life to Christ, give him the key to all of those areas and say, Lord, Whatever you want me to do to be doing right in my life, I want to do. I want you to be comfortable living in my heart, which is your home. Which is exactly the same thing that Paul is getting after right here. So, the two points we've learned so far. How do we pray for those we love so that they would be used in ways beyond what they could ever ask or imagine? for Christ and his church in this life. Number one, we pray that their heart, they would grow spiritually strong inside them. They would spend time in God's word and be nurtured and become spiritually strong. Number two, we pray that Christ would be comfortable in their heart, that their heart wouldn't have hidden rooms and hidden sins that are distractions from him. And then number three, it comes along and says this, Having begun a relationship with God by his love, pray that, we, that God would supernaturally expand their heart to 
to better comprehend the love God has for them and for his church. Here he says this, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He says we begin our relationship with God through his love, don't we? That he loves us, that he died for us. That's why we want to stay rooted in God's love. We want to stay grounded in his love. But here's the thing. Sometimes as people start to grow spiritually, they want to move beyond God's love. No, don't pray that they would move beyond God's love. Pray that their heart would be ever-expanding to understand the capacity and the scope and the breadth of God's love for you and for me, which is beyond anything we could ever ask or even imagine. Because you see, when the Holy Spirit supernaturally expands our heart to understand how loved we are, by God through Jesus Christ, it changes us. It completely changes us and the way we deal with people from the inside out. For instance, 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, We love because he first loved us. When we start to understand how much God loves us, don't we have an increased capacity to love the hard-to-love people in our lives? Or how about this one? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. The more we understand how much God loves us, the more forgiving we are to other people. So growing and understanding God's love for us changes us. And here's where it all leads to. The result of these things is they will be filled with the fullness of God. Literally, he says this, that you may ultimately be filled with the fullness of God. That doesn't mean all of God is inside of us, but what is inside of us is dominated by God, his values, his thinking, and his spirit. Think of it this way. You can take a cup, you can go down to the ocean. You can take a cup and you can scoop <laughs> the ocean into the cup. Now, do you have all of the ocean in the cup? No. Well, not all of the ocean in the cup, but the cup is filled with the ocean. It is completely dominated by the ocean because there's nothing else but the ocean in it. The idea here is when these three things are taking place, that we have grown strong and powerful in our inner being and our relationship with God, that our heart is a comfortable place for Christ's home, and when the Holy Spirit has expanded our capacity to understand God's incredible love for us, then we are filled with the fullness of God, and we are incredibly useful for God, and for Christ and his kingdom in this life in ways that we wouldn't even be able to ask or imagine. This is why Paul says this as he ends. God is able to do more with us than we ask or think, but what he does with us is according to his power at work in us. Now to him who was able to do far more abundantly 
than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Says the, the Holy Spirit and God dominating us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Now, what I did at the end, I, went, I put together here sort of a summary of what I want you to take home. How should we pray for those we love so they are in a position where God can use them in ways beyond what they would ask or think? Number one, pray they would grow strong and powerful for Christ in their inner being through the study of God's Word. You could throw in there worship, prayer, and Christian community. Number two, pray they would have a heart that is pure so that all of their life is open to Christ and is a comfortable place for Christ to have his home. And number three, pray that having begun a relationship with God by his love, they would stay rooted in God's love and pray the Holy Spirit would supernaturally enlarge their heart to better comprehend the immense love God has for them and his church. My challenge is for you. For those of you who have people that you love and you want to see them be used for the glory of Christ and his church in ways that are beyond what you would ask or even imagine, pray this prayer for them. Add the structure of this prayer into your prayer list for those you so desperately love. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your blessings for us and your plans to use us are not all just in the future, but you plan to use us even now in your church for Christ's glory in ways that we couldn't even imagine. Thank you for that. We are so humbled. Jesus, I pray that we would um, grow spiritually strong. I pray that our hearts would be completely opened in a comfortable place for you. And that most of all, as a church and as a people, you would supernaturally expand our hearts to understand your incredible love. We just want to be able to be used by you for your glory and for your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.